Welcome to Silicon Valley Momentum, where advisor and author Roland Siebeling talks all things tech startups and brings you interviews with founders across the world. Now, here's your host. Hello, and welcome to the Silicon Valley Momentum podcast. My name is Roland Siebeling, and I'm a scale-up ally for tech founders. And I'm so excited this week to have with me John Manlove and Rob Fass of Apex Trading. Hello, guys. Hey, Roland. How are you? Thank you so much for joining this podcast. I've heard so much about you and the inroads that you're making into the supporting technology for this booming cannabis and hemp business. So I'm all excited to talk more about that. But before I say too much about your company, John, can you introduce Apex Trading to people who have not yet heard, if possible, about your company? Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks for giving us the opportunity to be here and excited to, to have a chance to talk about our company. So Apex Trading, we founded Apex Trading in, in early 2018. And what we provide is we're a, a wholesale business management and sales platform specifically for the cannabis industry that addresses the entire wholesale supply chain from seed uh, all the way to, you know, to your farmers, to your processors, to your shelf ready products down to retail. So what we do is we provide a comprehensive platform for wholesale businesses to not only be able to conduct sales in a more efficient and streamlined manner online, but also power those wholesale businesses with backend features like a CRM and various other business management tools that help uh, teams kind of leverage and and streamline their operations to, to really run their operation very efficiently. That's awesome. Okay, so Rob, can you tell us a little bit more about those clients, the wholesale business? That must be a whole new industry that's come about since some states started legalizing cannabis and hemp products. Would that be right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we solve problems for the wholesale cannabis producers. That would be cultivators, extractors, infused good makers, genetics and seed companies. And then on the other side, the retailers, the dispensaries or stores or provisioning centers, as we like to call them in some markets. And we've created the product to be designed for small or large businesses alike, you know, priced accordingly and able to scale as the business grows. And one of the things uh, that we like to look at is a quote from Bill Gates, where he said, a platform is when the economic value of everybody that uses it exceeds the value of the company that creates it. And so that's kind of where we like to see ourselves sitting. I really love that. So John, is this like an industry still very much in flux, I imagine? Are people still figuring out what works and what doesn't? Can you talk a little bit about that and the stability or the instability that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have been in the cannabis industry specifically from a technology mm-hmm. landscape since since early 2014. Mm-hmm. So that's really when the, the industry started to kind of gain this momentum that we all kind of know it as today. And that was with the first adult use market coming on in the state mm-hmm. of Colorado. And obviously we've seen so many states come online, both the medical and adult use since then. You know, when we look back at how much the industry has matured over the last six years, it, it's really been, um, they've made a lot of strides. You know, I think we're seeing more of, you know, in the early days, it was a lot of illicit market growers that mm-hmm. then maybe, you know, got wanted to come into the legal market. And I think that although they maybe possessed a lot of how to produce a great product or a quality flower, whatever that might be, mm. they lack sometimes some of those business operating skills, right? They weren't really having to pay taxes before. They weren't having to, you know, run marketing and sales campaigns mm. and, and leverage a business and 
deal with HR and everything else that in, inherently comes with running a company, right? So I think as we've seen those businesses, so many have made strides, right? So we've seen a maturation in the space from like a business operating and kind of acumen standpoint. So bringing in more traditional business operators to help these businesses scale and grow into the future, both in their state, but uh, expanding into new markets as well as they built brands and really been successful. But I think there's still a lot of challenges these businesses face, right? I mean, some of it inherently is just created by the landscape we're in, right? So there is a lack of accessible banking, right? Insurance, right? So you look at all of the wildfires that have happened. We've had several clients who had their, their dispensaries burned to the ground in Oregon recently. They have no, they had no insurance, right? Because oh, no. they didn't get insured, right? So a lot of these businesses are still very much so, while it's legal in their state and they're abiding by the rules and regulations that the state has laid out, they're still very restricted in a lot of areas that, that traditional businesses don't have to go through. You were telling me in the pre-interview some interesting stories about the previous company and how the founder was not quite mainstream in many ways. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, we, when I first jumped in this space and back in 2014, as I previously mentioned, you know, I, I helped uh, start a company called Trative and, and we had mm -hmm. the, really the dream of becoming the Amazon of cannabis. And I yeah. wasn't one of the initial founders of the company, but I was the first employee and brought on for being mm -hmm. responsible for growing the operations and sales. And, you know, I think when we first started out at the company, we think about like the, the fabric of a founder, right? Especially in a startup, you know, as first as you have to be able to raise capital. So <laughs> to be able to raise capital, right, it's really, really challenging. Anyone who's mm -hmm. raised capital, myself included, understands how, how extremely challenging it is to raise capital. Mm -hmm. um, we were fortunate enough that the founder of this company, Trative, had a persona that when he walked into a room, everyone gravitated to him. Not only was he like 6'4", right? So that helps. Mm. I'm a smaller guy, so it's a little <laughs> bit harder for me to gain people's attention, right? But he had an outgoing personality, extremely intelligent, just could vibe with really anybody, right? No matter mm -hmm. where you came from, he'd find something in common and he would connect with you, right? And we raised a significant amount of capital, right? So this founder was able to do that. But I think inversely, right, we think about the pressures, right, that a founder goes under, right? It's really lonely at the top. Right. Yeah. You have the weight of the world on top of you. Mm -hmm. You're not only responsible with your shareholders, but your employees, the community, your clients. Just you come sometimes feel like the weight of the world is on top of you. And unfortunately, back in the trade of days, you know, this this founder, you know, he he had you know just recently gotten married. And I think he was going through some life changes. He had mm -hmm. the company. We had raised all this this money. We had scaled the growth, the company up to over 35 employees. We we're managing three times as many people as we previously had managed. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, he he needed a break. So he went to Alaska, did some acid, and and then literally thought he was the second coming of Jesus on this planet. Ooh. Now, I have nothing against organized religion, right? I think it has its place in society, obviously, and for a lot of people, you know, it has really, you know, done wonders for them. But I would say that ultimately, right, it didn't really... Uh, belong in our work environment right? <laughs> and resulted in, you know, not only the employees losing faith in, in him, right. As the founder and visionary of the company, but the board, the same, right. Mm. And this on top of a few other mistakes within the company ultimately led to the downfall of that. Right. So I think when we look at founders, personally, me, you know, one of the lessons I really came out of that is you have to surround yourself with the right support group, right. So mm -hmm. your co-founders, you got to make sure they always have your back and you can rely on them. So when you're going through ups and downs, issues, whatever it is, you know that you have those people supporting you, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's just as important in your personal life as well, whether that's your spouse or your friend mm -hmm. or whoever it is, you need that support system. 
And then I think off of that is that you have to create that balance. So you have yeah. to be able to, as hard as it is, and especially in American society and our capitalistic driven kind mm-hmm. of society, we very much so just want to put in as many hours and as much as it takes at all the time and always be working. I mean, I mm-hmm. was just literally yesterday, worked a 10, almost 10 hour day and I felt guilty leaving the office right? yeah, <laughs> that yeah. early, right? And that's, <laughs> that's a very unique thing to a startup and a founder typically. So I think for the, one of the things I really learned from that is, I felt like if you create that balance, if you're willing, if you're able to really force yourself to disconnect and take that time for your personal life, you can create that balance and maybe not get to the level of that breakdown. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was, a, it was a very unique experience to go through, but honestly, I learned so much from that founder, CEO, as a friend, as an employee, you know, both in, of course, within business as well, how to navigate that with a board and, and investors, which I was responsible for after, mm-hmm. after taking mm-hmm. over the company. You know, I learned so much that it really positioned me as a leader. And I think us as a company, Apex Trading Bushel 44, to be successful. Sometimes those failures while you're going through them are the most painful things and horrible, mm-hmm. but they're the best experiences to learn from. Yeah. And we got to go through that, right? And we got to go through it from that, you know, it really started with, you know, why did I found this company with, with Rob and our other founder, Willie, right? It's because I knew and I trusted them, right? I knew that anything, if I ever needed something, no matter what the time of the day was, whether it's business or personal, both those guys were there for me and mm. I was there for them. And I think all too often you end up kind of seeing someone who founds a company and they have a co-founder and the co-founder just doesn't really hold up their end of the bargain. Sometimes it's a very, mm-hmm. very common type of occurrence be very selective of your co-founders and ensure that, you know, they have and possess those skills and, and same ethos that you have. I wanted to come back a little bit to the co-founder dynamic because that's such a frequent topic when talking to startups. Rob, what do you do as a co-founder? What's the mindset that you bring to work as a co-founder and, and being the best that you can possibly be at it? So, you know, fortunately I have several years background in startups. So I'm kind of familiar with how you have to operate And because I've worked from home now, even uh, prior to COVID for a few years, uh, you know, I'm based down in San Diego and the company headquarters is up in Portland. I'm kind of always on. I'm never really off because I'm in my home and I use my personal phone. So like John said, you know, it doesn't matter if if I'm awake and that's the, the only thing that stops me from not answering or talking to, especially John or Willie, is if I'm asleep. Otherwise, if my, or my phone's not there, I, I do a lot of trail running, but I even have my phone there. And I know that John and I have had conversations where I'm breathing heavily saying, yeah, okay, cool. We'll take care of it. Cause you know, I'm, I'm running along a trail 10 miles out in the wilderness. So, mm-hmm. you know, as he mentioned, you just, one, you always need to be there. And then two, there's this sort of relentless forward progress mindset mm-hmm. of, you know, even if I don't necessarily have the skill down 100% or the product, if we said it's going to be finished tomorrow, I will put something up tomorrow. If I tell mm-hmm. him there's going to be an email going out tomorrow, it's going to go out tomorrow, no matter what, you know, mm-hmm. and so that's how we kind of, you know, just continue to drive forward. The other thing is, is we've known each other, John, Willie, and I have known each other. I joined Trative in 2015 and Willie was there already. So we've known each other now for several years. So, so we understand each other's dynamics. You know, I can yell at John, John can yell at me, Willie mm-hmm. can yell at both of us, and none mm-hmm. of us are really upset. We know why we're doing it. We know mm-hmm. it's all, you know, with good intention. So, you know, just having that understanding of who the person is and, you know, where our limits are really helps. But again, just always being there for the other person 
is the way to get it done. Like the opposite. I can call John anytime. I can call Willie anytime. I can slack them anytime. And I know that they will answer. And if they don't, I know they have a good reason. I don't doubt or second guess them. And mm -hmm. I feel that that's what I'm getting back in return. That's awesome. Very good. So let's switch a little bit to, you know, the, how the company's doing, traction. Let's maybe start with how many employees do you have and some other metrics that you may be willing to share. How, uh, how are things going, John? Yeah, you know, the company is doing really well. You know, I think that we've really caught stride this year, albeit all, you know, COVID-related issues to the mm -hmm. side. Uh, the company's doing really well. So we're a team of 12 right now. Mm -hmm. That includes our engineers, sales, uh, support staff team. So a very small company. Yep. Uh, but what's really exciting about that is, you know, while we're small, we're, we're supporting over 2,400 clients, licensed clients across 11 state markets. Wow. Right? So we've really expanded with our model and technology standpoint and footprint wise, even with a very, very small team. You know, as we look at, if we look at the, our last two years, right? The first year was let's achieve product market fit. Yep. The second year, which was last year, let's let's begin to scale. And, and we've had revenue since day one of the company. So that's unique for us as a startup, but you know, let's begin to look at our revenue model. Let's begin to scale and roll out the platform in additional markets. And we're kind of at this exciting phase now where we've just rolled out our 2.0 platform, our new version mm -hmm. of our technology with enhanced feature sets and functionality. And we're, we're gearing up our next raise, which is going to be more growth capital focused. So it's been, yeah. a, it's been a great time for the, for the company and we're, we're doing really well. I have to jump on the product market fit that you mentioned because every single founder that I talk to always wants to know, how do you know when you have product market fit? What would be your answer, John? You know, I think simply put, especially from a platform standpoint, is increased usage over time, mm -hmm. right? So if, if we start to see that a, incrementally, each client that we sign up, whether that's a seller or buyer, is using the platform more as they get used to it and over time, right? You're starting to see that you've achieved some product market fit, you know? For us, you know, we're in this very unique position where, you know, our software isn't required to be used, right? So mm -hmm. in cannabis, right? If you're running a retail operation, you have to have a point of sale software, right? Yeah. If you're running a wholesale company, you have to have the state track and trace system, right? Mm -hmm. that, that track and mm -hmm. trace software. Everything else is just kind of tangibles that depending on what the, you know, what the business might want, right? So we're not required, but we are very much so needed. So I think mm -hmm. we're kind of in this unique position where we had to come up with number one, where do we want to fit within the niche? What are the needs of your problems within that specific part of the supply chain? And then how do you build a product to address those? And I think we've been really successful at doing that. And that really comes back to, you know, our plant first mentality of, you know, very much so being part of the community, caring about the plant, caring about the individuals who have, you know, pioneered to legalization and ensuring that we're not forgetting about those individuals and, and ensuring that, you know, we're really listening to the clients, understanding the markets and building the best product possible to address those nuances. Yeah. What does been, that mean, plant first mentality? Can you expand a little bit on that? Yeah. You know, I think all too often, you know, you kind of get in these gold rush mentalities, mm -hmm. right? When we look at cannabis, this is where a lot of people from Silicon Valley and nothing wrong with that, right? Jumping mm -hmm. in tech, right? You have a great tech. There's a, so much talent and, and knowledge and expertise in, in the Silicon Valley area of like, why wouldn't you come and build technology for cannabis, right? Mm -hmm. The other is you got people, you know, kind of commodity or hedge fund people more out of New York based that are coming <laughs> in thinking, let's build a commodity exchange. Let's do these things, right? I think traditionally, you know, that works in a lot of industries. 
And in cannabis, I think it does to an extent, but you have to keep in mind that, you know, it's still a very small, tight-knit community. The owners and operators within this space are still extremely anti-corporate. They're mm. worried about corporate takeover of the industry. Right. And I think from a technology standpoint, for us to come out is you have to be able to put yourself in their shoes, right? Mm. So I've cultivated, I've run a distribution company. I've went and stayed on the farms in Humboldt, right? To understand the culture, the people and what it is, right? I'm very passionate about that. So when we think about plant first, plant first means that everything we do from a decision standpoint of a company is with regard, and we're still considering the plan. So mm -hmm. how is this feature, how is this gonna enhance the small business and the large business alike? What mm -hmm. are we doing from a messaging standpoint to connect with the community so we don't come across as this outside kind of money grab company coming in? Mm -hmm. How do we really identify? What do, how do we support them? Whether that's donating to certain causes, being involved in local fundraisers or events, et cetera. Like how do we become part of the mm -hmm. community they mm -hmm. really identify with us? So I think when we think about plant first, it's this thing of, yes, we're a tech company. Yes, we've raised venture capital. Yes, we have people in our team that aren't, haven't been cultivators their whole lives or even really right. in that part of the business, right? But from a sales standpoint, from a marketing output, from an engineering standpoint, everything we, have, we do has to be in consideration of that plan. And ultimately, right, that tends to create a community or what we like to call our apex trading family, right? Which is our clients as well as us. So it's creating mm -hmm. this family atmosphere, this community atmosphere that inherently part of cannabis is that it's such a tight knit community. It takes a lot to get into that community, but once you're in it, it really mm -hmm. is it's where they'll support you and they're your biggest advocates. So awesome in terms of a description of all the big trends that we're seeing. And Rob or John, what does this mean for Apex Trading? How big will it be? How many plants will be under management? How many clients do you envision having 10 years down the road? I'll, let me start out with that one, and then I'll let John give the serious answer. I think hemp and, and cannabis will be so large in 10 years that, you know, the Super Bowl Budweiser commercials are going to be, you know, um, Rocky Garden commercials or, right. you know, you never know who's going to be putting something out there, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we'll have that. You know, there's also the food side of it, um, you know, the protein coming out of uh, the hemp side. So, mm. you know, curing world hunger and, and all these different things. Mm. And I, I just want us to be there along the way to support it in whatever capacity the industry needs us to support them. So mm -hmm. that may mean we are massive, you know, multinational conglomerate company, or that means, you know, we just dominate a specific market or a specific aspect mm -hmm. of the market. And maybe we, you know, kind of refocus and say, let's not look at that big giant picture and let's just really support the craft industry or let's Got really it. support. So it just depends. I mean, but yeah, that's kind of where I see it going. Very good. And then we expect the serious answer from John, right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. With so many unknowns. I, you know, when I think about the future of our company, you know, obviously, you know, we're very much so focused on the now as a startup. We have to ensure that each day we're taking the steps we need to drive things forward and ultimately that, that results in, in long-term success. You know, I, I do very much so expect us in the next year to expand across the entire country. So up opening offices on the East Coast and, 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 you know, entering all legal U.S. state markets. From a hemp standpoint, uh, and from a cannabis standpoint, there's great international opportunities. I think the biggest market is still remains to be the United States, and it will continue to do so for, for yep. I think, a long period of time. 
But ultimately, right, I, I think there's a great opportunity for national expansion for us as a company and, and really connecting those global supply chains. You know, from a from an exit, a public, uh, M&A standpoint, right? I mean, every that's the dream of every every founder of a startup, right? Mm. I mean, whether you remain private and you just continue to do what you love and you have a great company and you're paying dividends to shareholders and they're excited because you're profitable and, and life's good, right? Maybe we, yep. maybe we continue down that path, right? Maybe that's where we want to be. Maybe it's something where a merger acquisition or an exit opportunity comes across that is just too good to pass up, right? Or makes a lot of strategic sense for us as a company and that whoever that acquirer would be. You know, I think for us, you know, I don't, I'm not tired of this space by any stretch of imagination. I love what we do. I love getting to innovate and build an amazing product to address this ever evolving and changing industry. I couldn't really imagine going back to a kind of a nine to five desk job, right? I, I love what <laughs> we do. But in the same sense, right, as, as the future you know, there's so many things up in the air. We just have to ensure that we're remaining focused on today, you know, looking at those opportunities and take advantage as they, as they come along. And we'll see if, you know, we'll continue our current success and hopefully, you know, expand upon it. And the future should, should be very bright for the company and, and all of our employees and, of course, our clients as well as we continue to innovate awesome. and build our product. I'm going to ask both of you as well in closing, what is one key goal or challenge that you're currently looking at and how can listeners to this podcast potentially help you with that? For us and our success, right? We've, you know, it's going to come down, of course, to our, our next fundraise, right? So we're yep. in this jumping into our series A here in January. And, you know, for us, it's a growth capital raise. So, you know, we've been able to build a phenomenal product. We'll continue to innovate and build features and functionality within our system and enhance it more and more as you have to do as a platform, right? But on the other side, right, is, uh, you know, if you're interested in this opportunity of what we do and it's intriguing and you'd like to learn more, especially about our upcoming raise, right, as we raise capital, this growth capital, being able to use that, that money to, to, to expand, right, and continue the exponential growth of, you know, between two and 500% of every, every KPI year over year that we've hit so mm. far, that's a great opportunity, right? So as a, as a startup, obviously, for us to continue growing and be successful comes, comes the injection of capital. As a technology company, right, we're like many not profitable out the gate, right? So we <laughs> on investors to support us, be part of this, uh, this ride that we're on and take advantage of the opportunity that cannabis presents and uniquely our position uh, provide, our company provides. So uh, yeah, if there's any investors out there who'd be uh, interested in that piece, would definitely encourage them reaching out and would love to have the conversation and speak more about, about what we're up to here. That's awesome. And of course, investors, if you know me, I'm happy to provide an intro directly to John as well. Well, thank you so much, Rob Pess and John Manlove of Apex Trading Bushel 44 for joining this week's podcast, Silicon Valley Momentum. I really enjoyed this interview and I wish you all the best of luck with your fundraise and with the changes in society we all need to see. Thank you so much, Roland. It's a pleasure. Like what you heard? Subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Tune in next time for more tech news and interviews with some of the brightest minds in tech today.